All right, thanks for joining. Welcome back. Deepak Shona here with the Sports Med Analytics Podcast. Now, again, we're going to be talking all season long, so make sure you hit us up on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. Hit up Sports Med Analytics, all one word, and let us know what you want to hear about. Today, we're talking first round running backs. Christian McCaffrey to start out with. Is he injury prone? He's, of course, missed significant time the last two years, but to answer that question, we have to look at the injury history and the playing style together. The history basically shows no consistent pattern or anatomic imbalance. The injuries aren't really the type that are associated with lingering performance or durability impacts. And then if you look at his playing style, the receptions pose a lower risk per play than carries for injury. So especially if Carolina is using CMC for his exceptional receiving talents, that actually puts him in the low to medium risk group for running backs. And running backs obviously are the highest risk position. We've gone over this before, but again, even the high durability guys miss two to three games per year. So you just have to be deep at the position. But Christian McCaffrey, I would call him a medium risk running back. Next up, Dalvin Cook. He's missed two to three games per year over each of the last three years, but he's still totaling almost 300 touches per year, about 250 carries and 40 receptions. Now, we don't always hear about every procedure that an athlete undergoes in the offseason, but there is a very real chance that Dalvin Cook did have some sort of surgery to repair his shoulder this past year. And if that's the case, re-injury rates really aren't that much higher than the typical running back. He should be starting the season around 100%, and no, I wouldn't call him injury-prone. Again, even the higher durability running backs do average two missed games per season, so I think if Cook keeps up this volume, we're probably looking at a similar trend here. Not unreasonable to expect the Vikings to put him in a backfield split to try to preserve him for later in the year. Next up, Derrick Henry. Now this far removed from last year's Jones fracture, Derrick Henry should be at around 100%. Re-injury rates and refracture rates from this injury are less than 10%, so pretty low risk there. Now the key question with Henry is career volume. He's up at 1,400 carries now, and there has to be an inevitable decline that does happen with age for a running back. But data doesn't really point to 1,400 carries being that number. It actually actually suggests it's closer to 1,800. Furthermore, there has been some data that indicates there's a group of high-volume, high-durability running backs that can sustain these 300-carry workloads year after year after year. And until just last year, Derrick Henry certainly fit that mold. Now, again, the data doesn't tell us to be out on Henry this year, but probably a year from now, we'll be revisiting that conversation. Now, J.K. Dobbins, big one in the news. The key here is that Dobbins reportedly tore more than just his ACL, also reportedly a second ligament, the LCL, on the outside of his knee. He's 13 months into recovery, but the average return is actually closer to 15. So with the SMA algorithm that many of you have heard about already, combining machine learning, post-injury outcomes, and historical NFL injury data with player demographics, which in Dobbins' case, age, draft stock, pre-injury athletic metrics all work heavily in his favor, we do project him to beat the average recovery timeline. And I think you'll start to see him on the field in the week three to five range, but based on the current reporting, he has not been practicing fully, not taking contact hits, and I don't think he's going to be playing week one as a result of that. Now, Dobbins is becoming a value pick, though, because our data projects him to be 85% of his prior form by the midpoint of the season, and that projects to be a RB2 and a pretty solid RB2 for the second half of the year, but he's slipping all the way down to round six. 
Now, my league mates are clowns, but certainly not bozos. And yet, I just snagged him at pick 65. So if we see Dobbins out there in the first six weeks, it's likely on limited touches, less than peak explosiveness. But again, I do think the second half of the year, he's a startable running back for most teams. Next up, his backup, Gus Edwards. The ACL for Gus Edwards has him likely missing the first month of the season, but he also doesn't really fit the profile of a guy who's likely to beat the trend of an ACL causing a one-year decline in running back performance. Now at age 27, Edwards is already a bit up there for a running back, and his athletic metrics put him around 60th percentile, so unfortunately, this is the type of guy I would be avoiding in fantasy because reporting is suggesting that he's going to miss about a month or more of the season, and then when he does come back, he's likely to have lost a step. That step will probably get regained by next year, but probably not in time to make an impact on your lineups in 2022. Next up, Cam Akers. This is a controversial topic, and the reason is that the Achilles has historically been a brutal blow for running backs, up to even seeing a 25% performance drop-off lasting multiple years after injury. Now, Cam Akers came back from his Achilles in six months, but he did go from averaging 4.3 yards per carry pre-injury down to 2.6. That's definitely partially injury-related, but the Rams' O-line also didn't really do him any favors. 95% of his yards came after contact. Now, modern Achilles repair and rehab techniques have improved, so we're probably not seeing as drastic drop-offs as we did see prior in that historical data that I cited a minute ago suggests, but this is still a really severe injury. So the SMA database projects him to start off the season at around 90% of pre-injury levels, about a year removed from the Achilles injury. But now you have to add in this undisclosed soft tissue injury. It kept him out of practice for about two weeks. There's high chances that Cam Akers is going to be totally fine by week one. He's reportedly already fully back at practice, and he's very likely to be a good player getting solid volume in a number one running back type role for a Sean McVay offense. But I've been out on him again because the value at around three or four price tag is higher risk than most of the other players available there. Now, James Robinson, the type of guy where an Achilles is potentially making him a sleeper pick. The SMA database projects him at 80% of his pre-injury baseline if he does play week one, which does look like the most probable outcome. Now, for reference, that database projected Cam Akers at 75% when he came back at the end of last season. So there's definitely a noticeable difference expected, but as the season goes on, James Robinson should pick up some strength, even hitting around 90% at the two-thirds point of the season. Now, with Travis Etienne looking healthy, explosive off of his injury, which was the Liz Frank that he's expected to be essentially fully recovered from at this point, it is hard to imagine the Jags forcing the ball to Robinson early this year, but you're able to get him all the way down around pick 100. So I think he's worth that cost, but I definitely would not be banking on him to start in my lineup early on. Kenneth Walker the third, next up, rookie running back for the Seattle Seahawks. He's now three weeks out from his surgery. They're calling it vaguely a hernia-like condition, and we don't know exactly what that means, but return for hernia surgery and abdominal and groin surgery in general for soft tissue issues like this generally takes about six weeks. And that would put Kenneth Walker around week three. Now, the good news is that players do tend to bounce back quickly to pre-injury form after the surgery, So if you liked him before, you're probably still safe to do so now. Next up is Drake London. Now he's been out for about two weeks. 
Sounds like he's dealing with a mild severity knee contusion. Most of these would heal up without issue within four weeks, which is his time frame from injury to week one. And it's also luckily not the type of issue that we'd expect to pop back up midseason. So overall, I feel relatively good about the news here. Next up, Jalen Waddle. Now we can deduce a couple things about Waddle's injury despite the lack of information the Dolphins have given us. One, he's had a wrap on his leg, and two, he's now missed about three weeks of practice. So that together points to a moderate severity soft tissue type of injury, potentially a hamstring strain. Now, Coach Mike McDaniel said they're being highly cautious. So it suggests we probably don't have to worry about him missing week one. But based on the limited info we do have here, I would estimate about a 25% chance that this pops back up in season. The good news is that Waddle played in 16 games last year, so I feel pretty good about his ability to play through minor issues, and you do have to like his fit on the offense with a growing Tua Tagovailoa and now a deep on an offensive situation where the defenses can't key in on only him thanks to Tyreek Hill. But again, 25% chance that this pops back up in season is our estimate, so we'll probably avoiding Waddle at ADP right now. Next up, Michael Thomas. Now again, We've been over this, but briefly, they tried non-operative treatment in Michael Thomas, and it failed. But because of the timing of it all, it cost him an entire year. And now so many people are so far out on Mike Thomas. The fact that they tried non-operative treatment here is actually good news because it suggests that the injury severity wasn't that drastic to begin with, or else they would have gone straight to surgery. Normal recovery from this type of surgery takes about four to six months. And again, MT has had over a full year. So there's a high likelihood that he's fully recovered there. The more recent issue is a reportedly minor hamstring strain that's now caused him to miss about two weeks. Given about three weeks from injury to week one, MT probably is full speed for the opener, but with these types of injuries, there's about a 20% recurrence rate in season. Now at ADP of around five or six, for a guy who I'm expecting to be fully recovered from the ankle issue and probably putting up wide receiver two numbers, mid wide receiver two numbers by the end of the season, I would go all in on MT at that that cost. Chris Godwin, a little bit harder of a read. He's coming off of January ACL surgery. He looks to be progressing well, but he hasn't been cleared for full contact practice yet. And week one could go either way, but I would lean towards not seeing Godwin on the field. More likely, we're seeing him out there in week about three or four. The key with the ACL is that there tends to be a performance dip in the first year back for wide receivers. Godwin being a productive young receiver, 80th percentile athletic metrics, he does project to hit 85% of his explosiveness back in mid-October and 90% in November. But if we're seeing him play in late September, anticipate a limited snap count and a player who's just not looking like 100% of himself. He should be good again by mid-October. So if you're looking at snatching Godwin while everyone else is worried about that Q next to his name, I think it's a reasonable thing to do. Jamison Williams is officially on the non-football injury list. He'll miss at least the first four weeks of the season. But really importantly, that's not a setback here. That was completely really the expectation. With a January ACL tear, you're usually looking at about 10 months for the return. And with Williams, you can factor in young age, mega elite athleticism. This is the guy we were talking about, a 4-3 type 40. So between that, we're looking at the SMA algorithm projecting him closer to nine months, so which would put him in October. Now, the ACL performance tip we just talked about with Godwin does still apply, and our algorithm projects him at under 90% until mid-November. 
Basically, I wouldn't really plan on Jamison Williams being in my lineup prior to that. So I've been avoiding him so far in redraft. For Dynasty, given that he's likely to hit near 100% by the end of this year and almost certainly by the start of next year, I think there's potential value in a guy who was drawing pre-injury comparisons to the likes of Tyreek Hill. Next up, OBJ. We definitely are rooting big time for Odell Beckham, but we think the reason he hasn't been signed here is because he's likely to miss all of this year. Repeat ACL tears averaged three months longer recovery than the first time ones, and Odell took 11 months to come back from his first. To no fault of his own, that's a pretty normal timeline. But a third tear could damage his knee to the point where he'd have potentially permanent performance drop-offs as a wide receiver. So we'd expect him to be highly, highly conservative here. Again, I don't expect, expect Odell to play this year, but I do think he'll be close to what he previously was at the start of 2023. Michael Gallup is our next guy up, and he's becoming a potential sleeper pick. You're getting him after in round ADP of 120, which is actually on Fantasy Pros after a kicker, Justin Tucker, and after the Bills defense. Gallup is off the pup list. His recovery clock started in February, so it would be pretty aggressive to expect him back at close to full strength in September. But our data on Gallup, again, a 26-year-old wide receiver, 50th percentile athletic metrics, has him hitting 85% speed in late November. So the last third or half of this season, he should be a pretty good player given that the Cowboys are thin at wide receiver, and especially with James Washington going down. Now, Jerry Jones is always in win now mode and he's out there talking about how he wants to see Gallup out there and that if this were the Super Bowl you would see Gallup out there and I I do think you'll see Gallup out there around week four or so but I think it'll be on a limited snap count and probably data suggests less than full explosiveness again like the talent love the fit as the Cowboys wide receiver too with a good quarterback but just the injury timing makes him dicey for this season now towards the end of the year i think if you stash him on your bench and patiently wait it out i think you have a pretty good player there matthew stafford is our next guy up and stafford is now on a load management program for his elbow it's important to note though they're not calling any of this an actual setback and in addition stafford was already playing through the same issue late last postseason and he was probably more symptomatic then than he is now So during the games that Stafford was playing, he was putting up 40 attempts and about 300 yards per game. So I think they'll probably be able to get Stafford through this season without missing time. There is some mildly elevated risk here. It's not something you're likely to hear about early in the season, but it is on the radar for mid to late season as they load manage him here and there. Now, again, there's some mildly elevated risk, but not enough for me to downgrade Stafford and definitely not enough for me to be out on... Allen Robinson or Cooper Cup. Now, this is the end of today's episode for Sportsman Analytics. We are going to be ramping up for football season. Again, I'm Dr. Deepak Chona. You can call me Pac. And you can hit me up on Twitter, SportMD Analysis, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Find Sportsman Analytics, all one word. And let us know who else, who else you want to hear about. Until next time, signing off.